If you are able to remain standing, please turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 13. We'll read Psalm 13 together. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Lord, we do pray your blessing on the reading of this word and the preaching of it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I hope that you all can agree with me when I say that God is good, and God is good all the time. God is good when things seem good for us, when things are going well, and God is good when things are seemingly bad for us. Two weeks ago in our responsive reading, I was struck with the straightforwardness of this particular verse, Psalm one nineteen seventy one. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. David went on to state, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. God is faithful in his dispensing of afflictions, and he especially uses our afflictions to train us in righteousness. Do not dread them. It has been said too often lately that we are living in unprecedented times. The times are certainly unique to us, but it seems every generation faces their own form of global or communal crisis. Even last century, consider the hardships faced by world wars, the Great Depression, and the Spanish flu. The bubonic plague preceded that in the 19th century, the 14th century, and the 6th century. Regardless, these times and the restrictions that people face during quarantine, mask wearing, and social distancing have shown to bear much ill effect. We've even lost the ability for that simple, pleasant smile to greet another customer in the grocery store with our faces half obscured with masks. And if you're paranoid like me, you have to conscientiously remind yourself that these people probably don't want to kill you as their eyes attempt to pierce your soul. Benedict Carey writes in the New York Times, the ultimate marker of the virus's mental toll, some experts say, will show up in the nation's suicide rate in this and coming years. In the same article, he quotes Matthew Nock, a psychology professor at Harvard, who states, there's not only an increase in anxiety, but the more important piece is social isolation. We've never had anything like this, and we know social isolation is related to suicide. One 35-year-old college instructor Mind you, this is an adult whose profession is to influence the minds of young men and women in college. He commented, I see all the bad, the suffering, and I have a tendency to crawl into a hole. Now with this COVID threat, we're being told to isolate and stay away from others. It's like, oh, I was right all along, and the world was crazy. Regardless of pandemics and the isolation many are facing now, life has always had its ebbs and flow of difficulties. Many have lost jobs. 
faced divorce, lost family members to death, experienced relationship problems within the home and even the workplace, and dealt with chronic illness or pain. The effects of sin ravish the human body and soul. Sometimes it seems like there is no reprieve. We feel emotionally drained, exhausted, overcome with grief. We face depression, suicidal thoughts, and all kinds of thoughts and emotions are beating us down. Whether in especially trying times or the normal struggles of, and, the, and hardships of life, the perspective of Christians needs to be evidentially different. My goal today is not to discuss the merits of what types or manifestations of grief and depression are acceptable and what types are sinful. What I want to do this morning is to answer the question, is Jesus enough? When you or your friend are in the depths of despair, I want you to ask yourself, is Jesus enough? And I want you to answer, and in fact, Scripture compels us to answer this way. Yes, I can find peace even in my depression. Or friend, you can find peace even in your adversity. Scripture declares for us a scripture, a Christian can find peace even in deep despair. By examining our text this morning from Psalm 13, I want us to become convinced that a Christian can find peace even in the deepest despair. We will follow David in his struggle and follow his trifold progression, his cries of despair, his request for comfort, then his praise demonstrating his peace in Christ. As we follow David, we will confirm three main points. First, even Christians face deep despair. Second, the means of grace tether the weary to Christ. And third, peace returns in the light of Jesus. The first thing we need to do this morning is to acknowledge that even Christians face deep despair. The opening of this psalm states that its author is none other than David. Both the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 13, 14 and the New Testament in Acts 13, 22 tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. At his anointing, 1 Samuel 16, 13 tells us the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. David was the patriarch of the messianic lineage leading up to the birth of Jesus. And through further inspiration, David was presumed to have written 75 of our 150 Psalms. David was a Holy Spirit filled man of God. Note additionally in his cry, how long, O Lord, that he is making a personal plea to Yahweh, the covenantal name of God. Yahweh was David's God, whom he loved, worshipped, and served. Believers, even David, stamped with the approval of God himself as a man after his own heart, fell into deep depression. Yet a Christian can find peace even in the deepest despair, as David demonstrates for us. And so we see a glimpse of David's struggle. Look again at verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? In these two phrases, in these two verses, the phrase how long is asked by David four times. One pastor counted 22 times that this question is raised throughout the Psalms. David is tired, exhausted, and at his wit's end. His struggle had been long, and he's unsure how much longer he can bear it, how much more he can take, and whether he can endure. How long must I hold out? Will you forget me forever? David is in utter despair, a feeling of being alone and helpless, forgotten. 
He can't see God, and he wonders if God has forgotten him. I'm sure you recall the man from the Footprints poem saying, God, I'm looking back, and in my hours of adversity, I'm only seeing one set of footprints. Why have you abandoned me? But he was wrong, wasn't he? And the author, uh, the author of the poem asserts he was not only not abandoned, but he had been carried through his adversity. Are any of you familiar with the Great Smog of London? No. Well, at that time, London was blanketed with deep, dark, and deadly fog. Historian Christopher Klein writes, For five days in December 1952, the Great Smog of London smothered the city, wreaking havoc and killing thousands. In five days, killing thousands. He goes on to say, The smog was so dense that residents in some sections of the city were unable to see their feet as they walked. Public and private transportation came to a halt, some even abandoning their vehicles where they stopped. Criminals were emboldened in their ability to vanish into the darkness. In the darkness, the Tower of London, Big Ben, and Lady Justice were invisible to the eye, but they were there nonetheless. In the garden, Adam and Eve hid from God because of the guilt of their sin, yet God had not hidden himself from them. Just because a believer may be in the depths of despair and can't see his God, God has not abandoned him. God has not abandoned her. Remember the cry of David from Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. Even when you think that all hope is lost and you feel alone, remember these words. There is no place where God is not. The Apostle Paul declares this so so richly. If you'll turn with me to Romans 8, this is a a longer reading, and I'd like us to, to follow along together from Romans 8. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come 
nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In David's struggle, though, he demonstrates that he understands God had not thoroughly abandoned him. Yet he pleads, how long will you hide your face from me? He is yearning for the ironic blessing illustrated in number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. David longs for the face of God. For in his cries, he's asking, God, let your face shine upon me. Be gracious to me and give me peace. David has no peace. He feels overwhelmed and crushed. And in his despair, he asks, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? David's initial reaction had been to turn inward and to seek solace in his emotions, yet he is reaping only sorrow. David is allowing his feelings and emotions to dictate his understanding and perception of the situation. Counsel is advice. It is an endeavor of the mind in which one relates to another. These are the things I know and how they impact your situation. Given these facts, A, B, C, 1, 2, 3, this is how we should proceed. This is my advice for you. What David has acknowledged, however, is that in his despair, he is not gaining counsel from what he knows in his mind, but what he knows or thinks he knows in his heart, in his soul, the seat of his emotions. He is allowing his emotions to drive his mind and his actions. And in his tears, he is asking how long must his sorrow control him? Have you you ever felt that before? Can you relate to David's struggle? I certainly can. Yet, given the right perspective, we can overcome. Jesus is enough. While deployed to Afghanistan, there was a point where my body and mind were exhausted. I was discouraged, depressed. I felt alone. I was feeling quite, quite low, and I, and I emailed as such to Bethany that I was feeling low. It was already late in the day, and since I had not heard back from her, I proceeded to go to bed for a much-needed rest. And when I awoke in the morning, I pulled out my phone and saw that she had responded to my, to my text or email. And as I, I'm about to read her, her response, to see her words of confidence and encouragement, and I opened it up and it said, Drink water. I burst out laughing as well. At the time, she was unsure if, if, if I meant that I was feeling physically low, like I was getting sick or something, or whether I was feeling mentally low or, or distre- uh, distressed, discouraged, depressed. Yet in the light of the morning, though, my perspective had changed, and I could laugh at this strange advice. Believer, Christ is the light of your morning. Isaiah wrote, O Lord, be gracious to us, We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. In another passage I know that you are quite familiar with, Jeremiah likewise professed in Lamentations 3, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. David does not identify what his struggle is and what led to his depression. In verse 2, he asks, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We can observe that David references a singular and likely specific enemy. Again, he does not tell us 
who his enemy is. I believe that this is intentional for the sacred text. David has a specific adversary in mind, but I'm arguing that does not matter for the modern believer. It doesn't matter whether your struggle is the same as David's struggle. A Christian can find peace even in the deepest despair. You will meet parents who have wept for years over their wayward children, and they are crying out, How long, O Lord? You will meet others dealing with chronic illnesses, which offer no reprieve, others with recurring forms of often deep depression, those who have lost loved ones, parents, children, spouses, miscarriages, all crying out, How long, O Lord? When you find yourself there, you need to ask, Is Jesus enough? And know for certain that, yes, a Christian can find peace even in the deepest despair. How do we find our peace in Christ, though, when we are in the depths of depression? Friends, there's no other way than the ordinary means of grace. Prayer, the preaching of the word, and the sacraments. The means of grace are the ordinary means in which every believer, especially the weary, is tethered to Christ. In my mind, I can picture a balloon on a string, a flag on a flagpole, or even a tarp with just a single strap. You might feel like you're out there flapping in your misery, but that single strap, that anchor chain, is the means of grace securing you to Christ. This leads us to our second point. The means of grace tether the weary to Christ. David confirms this in verses 1 and 2. We see a believer pouring out his heart to his God in prayer. He is doing the right thing. He knows he is sick, and he's going to the doctor. David knew he was wrestling in his depression, and he cried out to the one who hears and answers. In Psalm 17, 6, he wrote, I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Dr. Curto of Greedville Presbyterian Theological Seminary has been quoted often. If you want to get hit by a train, you play on the railroad tracks. If you want to find grace, you go to where the means of grace can be found. A Christian in deep despair can find peace, but he needs to approach the throne of grace for it. He needs to be in church to hear the word of God preached. He needs to participate in the sacraments and cling to his baptism. He needs to be reading his Bible, and he needs to come to God in prayer. Granted, in the last few months, we have been restricted on our ability for public worship, but even in quarantine, we have a clear path to the throne of grace through reading of the Bible in private worship and through prayer. We heard David's mourning. Now we hear his supplication. God, please hear and answer. David beseeches, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Again, this is personal. He is crying out to Yahweh, the covenantal name of God. This is relational. In essence, David is saying, God, we have an agreement. We have a covenant, a relationship. David says, God, you said, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. So David prays, consider and answer me, O Yahweh, my God. As David's psalm continues, we see a change in tone. In his words, we note a transition from weeping to supplication. Consider and answer me. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes. David no longer is asking how long, but now simply give light to my eyes. Scripture has already illustrated, and so one should acknowledge that God possesses literal brilliant light. We saw David further assert in Psalm 132. 139.12, even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as the day. 
for darkness is as light with you. Daniel repeats this sentiment in Daniel 2. He declares it this way. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. It is rightly understood that what is written here is symbolism for the wisdom possessed by God. It is observed in that he sheds light and insight into the darkest secrets of mankind because he exposes all things through his wisdom. Nothing is hidden from his presence. There is no such thing as a dark corner in God's world. Additionally, Daniel's praise echoes the psalmist as the psalmist declared in Psalm 39, uh, 36, verse 9, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Ultimately, our redemption is found in the light of Christ. Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. David prayed because he knew it worked. In Psalm 18, he wrote, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him, even to his ears. David needed the light of God's wisdom to change his perspective, and he needed the light of his Savior to rescue him from his enemies. David needs light to his eyes, for he writes in the psalm, Lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. His concern is that his despair will drive him to death. Although we echo the words of Paul, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, We do not desire that our death may in any way be a victory for the enemy. Give me light, lest I die. Figuratively or literally, a broken heart, suicide, ravages of sickness. Give me light, lest my enemies triumph in making me lose heart to give up or to die. Again from Psalm 119, 77, David wrote, Let your tender mercies come to me that I might live. To be clear, David was often facing literal death by enemies, which is less common for the average American and Christian in the West. But the crushing blows of depression and other trials and tribulations, the grief of a significant loss, bankruptcy, feelings of incompetence, a marriage without affection, a boss who pushes you down, detractors who hate you, or other spiritual warfare, these are no less important The remedy is the same. We fall on the wisdom of our Savior to be light to our eyes. This is our third point. Peace returns in the light of Jesus. David demonstrated, and I can attest, we can face the threat of physical death in confidence. We can face our depression, our anxiety, our illness by having a proper perspective on our life in Christ. Peace returns in the light of Jesus. In Psalm 30, David was moved to praise. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. 
David was rejoicing in that psalm because he saw how the Lord had rescued him. He illustrated that his soul was brought up from Sheol. His physical body had not died, but what David wrestled with felt like death itself. And that was what God had rescued him from. At the threat of physical death, in Daniel 3, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah declared, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Our God is able to deliver us. He will deliver us. And even if he doesn't deliver us right now, we serve and worship him alone. And as we are well aware in their trial, Christ met with them personally, entering into the furnace with them and ministering to them until they were brought out alive. What a beautiful picture. What these men were also attesting to was that it's God's prerogative if he rescued them physically at that time. They had an insight, though, that even in death, God was their redeemer and savior. They were likely quite familiar with the words of Job and his proclamation in Job 19. For I know that my redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold and not another how my heart yearns within me. Psalm 13 demonstrates through David's progression that a Christian can find peace even in the deepest despair. He concludes, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David exhibits trust in the covenantal loving kindness of God promised to his covenantal children. In verse 5, what the New King James translates as mercy is the chesed of God. This is my favorite Hebrew word. It's referring to an enduring faithfulness, a steadfast love, a promise-keeping and covenantal love that will not fail. It is a weighty word packed with rich meaning and significant undertones of deep relational love. In Psalm 1819, David states it this way, He delivered me because he delighted in me. Our hearts can rejoice in our salvation and our reconciliation with God. Christ saved us from his wrath and judgment and the sting of death. Believer, you are held now in a covenantal bond with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he declares, I will never leave you nor forsake you. David had faith in his Redeemer, even though he had not seen him yet. And this led him to sing praise to his covenantal God. We have the joy of looking back to Christ who paid for our reconciliation. This should absolutely lead us to praise. For David to get to that place where he could clear that lump from his throat and dry his eyes, he had to experience a change of perspective. He used the means of grace to cry out to God in prayer, and God gave him the light of Christ to change his perspective. David's peace returned in the light of his Savior, and the same can be true for you, believer. Peace returns in the light of Jesus. I do have a tendency to go back and forth in Scripture for all sorts of illustrations, and I'm going to leave you with one more. John 20, we find Mary in the garden three days after the death of Jesus Christ. 
She's weeping, she's discouraged, she's confused, bewildered. She hears a voice beckon her, asking, Why are you weeping? For whom are you seeking? Mary was in the garden looking for Jesus. She was looking for his body to anoint it, to care for it. She thought that his body had been moved. She couldn't find it. She thought she was speaking to the gardener. She probably couldn't see through the tears in her eyes. And what was Jesus' response? Mary. And with simply the name, her name being called out by her Savior, her, her perspective changed in a moment and she cried out, Teacher. He was not dead. He had not been moved. He was alive and well. He was there for her, and he called her name. Believer, the the same is true for us today. Our Lord is risen. He is here. He is with us. There is an intimate relationship that that is a mystery that we can't fully understand that's described, that, that we are the body of Christ, that we are his bride, that the two become one. Your Lord and Savior is with you, and peace returns in the light of Christ. This morning I asked you, is Jesus enough? Believer, you need to know that indeed Jesus is enough. He has to be. Peter answered Jesus this way, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. A Christian can find peace even in his despair. Even Christians face deep despair, yet the means of grace tether the weary to Christ. And through the means of grace, peace returns in the light of Jesus. Is Jesus enough? Yes, a Christian can find peace, even in his adversity, even in her despair. Indeed, Scripture compels us. If you are not already in the habit, begin a pattern today of private Scripture reading and prayer, so that when you are hit with the adversity of life, and your enemies are seeking your death, you can turn to him again, turn to your Lord and Savior, and declare, Jesus is enough. I have peace, even in my despair. Someone may be here today who cannot relate to the peace in Christ of which I preached. It is your sin that separates you from the love of God. Yet the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came in life and in death and in the resurrection to pay the price of sin that justice demands. Humble yourself today. Cry out to God for the forgiveness of your sins and cling to Christ in faith. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you have questions or concerns, please feel free to come and speak to me after the service or to find one of the elders. We'd be happy to discuss with you how you can find peace in the light of Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that your face would shine upon us, that you would give us peace, that you would give us wisdom to face the adversities and trials of life. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.